Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Christina Scalera. Christina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, Christina is the attorney and founder behind The Contract Shop, a contract template store for creative entrepreneurs, wedding professionals, and coaches, and really for small business owners, as you'll understand as we have the conversation today. Uh, Three years ago, Christina found herself dreaming of pursuing a more creative path, and she started to look for alternatives to her in-house legal job. She explored everything from teaching yoga to becoming a freelance graphic designer to opening an Etsy shop. In the process, she ended up coming full circle by creating a business that brought the benefits of her legal training to help her fellow creatives and other small business owners. Uh, When she's not staring at a computer or awkwardly, as she says, standing on a cafe chair taking up or trying to take the perfect picture overhead of a latte, you can find her in the woods doing things that are sometimes dangerous, but always fun, like riding horses, skiing, and reluctantly camping, as she says. Sounds like my version (laughs) of camping. (laughs) Uh, Christina spent some time in McKinney, Texas growing up, which is uh, in the area where I am in the Dallas area. She now spends time in between Atlanta and in Colorado, where she's speaking to us today because she loves to ski. And so in this episode, she's going to share with us her interesting journey, as I just alluded to, how she went from studying to be an attorney, being an attorney, and then wanting to completely change what she was doing and developing this business called The Contract Shop. And then we'll dive into a general topic of protecting your work. This applies to all small business owners, but particularly as it relates to intellectual property and contracts and those types of things, we're going to have a discussion about that and get her input, thoughts, and insights. So once again, Christina Scalera, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, great to be here. So you're in, you were telling me as we, before we started recording, you're in Colorado and still getting some skiing in. How's, there's still snow, good snow up there? Is it starting to melt? (laughs) What's going on? I don't know if it's good snow. If, uh, <laughs> if you guys have been out here this year, you know. But um, but yeah, so it's it's really great. Um, I am. I just never thought I'd be in this position where I'm. I'm. You guys are listening to me here, and that I'm living in this like dual city lifestyle. Um, you know that that was always for somebody else. That was always a someday goal. But it it's here. It's happened, and um, it it happened very gradually. But I'm happy to dive into the journey and kind of backtrack and walk through what that looked like so that maybe somebody else can emulate that and start skiing or doing whatever you love, camping, uh, fishing. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, and that's, for me, that's so much what it's about, right? Everybody has a different set of whys as to why they become their own boss. But I think for a lot of us, that freedom of location is a big one. And when you build virtual businesses in particular, it gives you that freedom. And it's I tell you, it's uh, you, you can't imagine going back, can you? Back to the corporate world or a job where you have to be one place or even a business that requires you to be one place can be challenging. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time. So, you know, like I've I've dealt with some illnesses in my family and I've had to like rush home and take care of them. Um, and it's just, there's nothing like the ability to be able to take care of things like that, go where you need to go when, whenever and wherever you need to. 
uh, to be, and then also know that your your company is still making money while you're doing those things. That you're not, you know, taking paid time off or um, unpaid time off, even worse. Or um, you know, you're just maybe losing those those days of vacation that you had if if that's how your work is set up. So there really is nothing like it, and it was. It's just, it's still unbelievable to me that this is my life and that this is what's happening um, because, you know, I bought into the corporate dream, right? Like I spent, I don't even know how many years going through school and then like considering even more degrees. And I was, I was like always that person pursuing the degree um, and more education. I was just like very curious and a, a thirsty learner. And um, yeah, I mean, to get out of law school and to live kind of this non-traditional legal path and then have it all work out is something that a lot of people told me was not only impossible, but a bad idea. Um, and it, it you know, at this point, they're like, man, I wish I could do what you're doing. And I, yeah. I, I'm like, you can. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, it's just a paradigm shift, a story in their mind that they haven't quite gotten themselves to, which I don't blame them for. But, you know, it is it is definitely a paradigm shift. It's definitely a new story that you have to develop for yourself. Yeah, I agree. Well, well said. And it's it's uh, we're fortunate and it's a wonderful thing. So going back to when you were, you went to Texas A&M for your bachelor's and then went on to Emory University for law school. Back then, uh, did you have any aspirations of entrepreneurship? No, I didn't. Well, not consciously. So I would find myself daydreaming a lot. And, you know, as I got older, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm just going to tell you guys, um, you know, like in high school, college, it was like I daydreamed about like, who would I date and where would we go and what would our lives be like, right? Like the boy kind of crazy thing. Um, but as I got older, um, I've become more and more obsessed with the the idea of entrepreneurship. And so in law school, those daydreams turned from like, how cool can I be and how can I fit in to um what kind of company could I start? Would this actually work? Could I design jewelry? Could I, um, you know, start this magazine? Like whatever it was, the flavor of the week, um, very disorganized, scattered thoughts that, again, like are super embarrassing to look back on. But come on, I was like 22 or 23 <laughs> at the time, you know. But you know, um, it's embarrassing. But don't you think, and do you till this day, I know I do, I, I always believe you have to have these embarrassingly audacious dreams to, to kind of work towards or at least kind of inspire us. Is that still the case for you? Um, no, not anymore. But yeah, definitely back in the day, it was funny because I, I wanted to be like on Oprah's list of her favorite things. And I'm like, I don't even know what I would sell. I just want to be on the list. Um, you know, and those kinds of things have kind of gone by the wayside. Um, I, I've been really fortunate to have amazing. So I have two businesses. I have the contract shop and then I have a law firm. Um, but really, you know, here today in the capacity is the founder of the contract shop. And in each of those, I've been really fortunate to work with amazing clients. Um, one of my clients is going on Ellen this week. Um, you know, just like really cool people that are connecting to really great projects and philanthropy. And um, it's, it's just kind of surreal that, that like, yes, I wanted to be on um, Oprah's list of favorite things, but that dream has like now morphed into what is more realistic and reality, which is like working with the people that are on those lists and working with the people that like know Oprah and hang out with Richard Branson and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's not me necessarily being there or even living vicariously through them. Um, but it's, it's like this deeper sense of satisfaction that I'm able to support someone in their mission and that they're able to go there and be with those people. And, um, 
just really improve the creative community or whatever community that they're in as a small business owner um, and just be there to support that person. So it looks a lot different than those daydreams that I had, but, um, you know, similar vein. And I'm, I'm glad I had those. I'm glad I had those, as, as you called it, audacious dreams to um, really push myself to think to the next level. Yeah, I agree. So you were in a typical corporate legal environment, I believe. And 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 what happens that you decided to start your own firm? I mean, a, a lot of attorneys obviously have that as a career path, but when did you decide to take that leap and why? Sure. Yeah. So it's a little weird coming out of a top 20 school and then launching your own firm. That doesn't happen a lot um, for a lot of different reasons, right? Like the gold standard, if you graduate from Emory, if anybody from memory is listening, I'm sorry, but it really feels like the gold standard is either um, working in a big firm job where you're like mm. the super high powered partner track attorney or um, doing something very noble, working in public service, maybe being a public defender. Like there's no middle ground there. And I didn't really feel supported at all in that middle ground. Um, and I never really intended to create my own firm, actually. But the way that it happened was, um, so I, I'm going to Emory, I'm working full-time in Emory, um, I'm, I'm going to school full-time, um, I'm at, at some point studying for the bar full-time while all this is happening. And so I was really fortunate. Um, the company that I was working working um, at during my time at Emory, so I'm, I'm working full-time at the company, working full-time as a student. Um, the company that, that I was working full-time with at the time that I was still a student hired me on. So I was really, really fortunate because I got to skip uh, what is kind of the drudge years of where you're just kind of doing the, the drudge work, working in firms, doc review, kind of the boring stuff right. uh, that nobody wants to do. Yeah. Uh, I got to skip all of that and I went right in-house to a corporate legal department. And that was really exciting. That was always my dream job. I had interned at places like PepsiCo, um, worked a lot on their trademarks. And like, that was my dream job is just to work in house, be a trademark attorney, um, protect all of their big, fancy billion dollar brands. And um, I, I got not with PepsiCo, but I got an offer at a company that I was working at. And it was it was amazing, right? Dream job. Until <laughs> I got in there. And I, like I said, I'm working full time, um, just graduated school. Now I'm setting for the bar full time. Um, and it, it got to be like overwhelming and exhausting. And so I, I actually had a lot of health failures, like very serious health failures um, that were really abnormal for somebody who was 25 years old. And so something wasn't working, right? Like there was something that was broken in the cycle. And I'm very, very bad at moderation, Henry, like super <laughs> bad at moderation. Um, I'm either like the most fit Iron Man woman you've ever met, uh, or I am like eating cookie dough nonstop, no moderation. So I decide very um, impulsively to leave this this perfect job that I had found because my health was falling apart um, for a couple other reasons. There were some corporate things that I didn't agree with that were happening. And so I'm just like, I'm just going to leave and I'm going to go in completely the opposite direction. I had actually found a mentor who had been a former corporate counsel as well, turned private yoga instructor in Washington, D.C. Her name is um, Kelly Newsom-George and she's, she's not she's now living in Paris. Um, but she had made a very successful living for herself as a private yoga instructor, um, after leaving her, her corporate attorney position. And I said, okay, well, she did it. I can do it. Um, and so, you know, we became close friends. She was a great mentor. She's still a good friend. And, um, Anyway, I, I tried to emulate what worked for her and it, it didn't work. Like I'm, I'm just, but let me interrupt. So you, did you yeah, quit your job and go now learn to be 
how to do yoga, how to teach yoga. I think it's called a yogi, but I'm, I'm not familiar with the terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so that's that's exactly what happened. I kind of did a complete 180 from where I was at with with my legal career. Um, just decided that this was a healthier. So option. what kind of what kind of reaction did you get from the parents, the friends, your peers? What did they all think? I mean, it varied from just okay, that's cute. You know, when are you going to go over this phase? To uh, just being really upset and angry, and um, a lot of people thinking not that I was crazy, but a lot of people thinking that I um, just that that I was I was doing something really stupid, like I had gotten a face tattoo or something that I could never get off. Um, so you know, it was it was a lot of reactions like that, and um, that's that's really hard to have the people in your life that care about you the most um, have like some of them said some hurtful things. Some of them just didn't believe in me. And, you know, as you guys know, who are leaving a corporate job or you're starting some kind of business, it's a really fragile period to be in. Um, you're not sure if it's going to work. You've never done this before. Maybe you don't know if you're doing things the right way. It can feel overwhelming. Um, you're watching other people soar past you and you're like, why isn't this working for me? So all of those things were happening at the same time. Um, and it turns out, Henry, that like I was actually a really, really bad yoga teacher. Like fundamentally, I could do it. I could, <laughs> I could mechanically go through it. Um, but what ended up happening is it's in the process of creating this private yoga business, if you want to call it that. Um, it was really just like a hobby. I kept losing money. But in the process of creating that, I, I learned a lot of things about having a business that's online because I'm a millennial. Like, I don't know how to like do in-person um, like yellow page ads or networking or, you know, that's just not my, my field of expertise. I just never grew up with that. Uh, and so I'm like, great, what can I do? I can blog, I can get on Pinterest, I can reach out on social media, I can, you know, post in Facebook groups. And so that was what I was doing with this private yoga business. And so even though that business didn't work out, it completely flopped for a reason that directly impacted the start of what I'm doing right now. Um, it, it was still really, really good experience. It taught me how to be a content writer, how to be a uh, digital strategist and create things that people were interested in consuming. It taught me how to create very bad, but still done graphics, which are worth something. <laughs> done is better than perfect. And um, it taught me how to take some photos and like just really how to put myself out there. And it, it more than anything, it taught me that like people aren't really paying that close of attention to you when you're getting started. So you can, you have this like amazing freedom to do whatever you want to capture people's attention, um, you know, within reason, obviously I don't want some bad things on the internet for years and years to come, but it was this really free feeling when I kind of, this all started to come together and I realized all this. And so how long did this chapter last? The, the yoga and the graphic designing and the Etsy shop, how long was that period of time until you came back to starting the uh, contract shop? <laughs> Not long because I wasn't making money. So Yeah, because that was the next question I'm going to ask is how you supported yourself financially during that period of time. Yeah. So I have to be honest, my family helped me out and also I was still doing some legal work on the side. So I just kept okay. getting – once people find out you're an attorney, they keep – Hey, I have this contract. I have this thing. I need like, can you write this letter? Can you get my LLC? Um, so it's kind of like anywhere I go, especially in the yoga community where there's not many now it's, it's more common, but you know, this was back in 2014, 15. Um, it was less common then, uh, to have attorneys and, and yoga overlapping, but 
Anyway, mm-hmm. so people would find out. I'd get like I, qu- I call it outed as a yoga or as an attorney at, in these <laughs> yoga things. And so all these yoga teachers and studios and things like that, they all had these legal problems, whether they were small or large or whatever. And so I was I was helping them, um, and just in, in a very small capacity. But it, it kept you know it kept things going. It kept my my mind focused on on legal things. I think in the back of my head. Um, but really, when it it kind of shifted was when I. I actually did some in-person networking and I I was about to book two very big clients like this private yoga thing was finally going to work and Interesting. I uh, you know several thousands of dollars every month for these two clients I was going to come to their office we were going to do yoga all this it all fell apart because I didn't get them a contract quick enough and that's wow. so crazy, right? Like I'm an attorney, but you don't graduate from law school and immediately get this amazing bank of legal documents and contracts to use. So I had to hunt around on the internet just like everybody else. And I was frustrated. I didn't know if I had everything I needed because I'd never been a private yoga instructor before. Um, I, I had Kelly to lean on, but um, and, and I actually did end up using a, a contract similar to hers. Um, but yeah, it took me forever to have the confidence to send them this agreement, and um, and so what happened? Did they go elsewhere? Oh, yeah, or what absolutely. Is it? Well, okay, I mean, if you <laughs> you see, this is what this is amazing to me because you would think as an attorney that would have been no problem for you to whip something together. So what, what am I missing? Yeah, honestly, I mean, I I had everything at my disposal. I had literally a book that's called How to Write and Draft Contracts. Um, I had taken the class at Emory from from uh, uh, Tina Stark had been one of the teachers, and she literally wrote the book that is used in almost every law school about how to draft contracts. She was my teacher, and it's like <laughs> I couldn't even do this. So if I'm sitting here as an attorney who had taken like oh, the premier class in drafting contracts and I still couldn't get my act together, I was still feeling overwhelmed and unconfident um, sending this agreement to a potential client who wasn't even an attorney. You know, They didn't care. They just wanted me to show up and teach yoga. If I was in that position, what was the position of other people that were approaching clients? Um, because if, if I was that if I lack that much confidence, if I lack that much skill, I mean, there's like no hope for anybody else. And so that started that's to right. plant the idea for the contract shop in my mind. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and, and definitely. And that's what happens even today. And that's why you're providing such a valuable service there is that people get paralyzed by it and they get paralyzed by various factors, including I, I don't want to spend the money. I don't have the money to spend. It's going to be too expensive. I don't even know where to begin, you know, all those things. Um, okay, so but so how long was that period of time before then you launched the contract shop? So that was about another like three to six months. So I graduated from law school, worked for a while, about a, for about a year, bumbled around, like was really frustrated because I didn't know what I was doing and this yoga thing wasn't working. And, you know, I tried calligraphy in the meantime. Um, I had studied uh like floral design at, um, at Texas A&M. And I had, um, tried calligraphy. Like I said, I was blogging. So I was learning about content writing. I was doing graphic design, um, on my blog. And so it was like all of these things, right. That I had my hand in and I was really enjoying some of them. Um, just kind of thinking any of these could be a career. Uh, I had found, I don't know if you know, Chris Gillibo, I had found him through Kelly and, you know, just read the hundred dollar startup and like kind of my mind started reeling. And I I was like, instead of thinking about everybody else as an entrepreneur, I started to think about myself as an entrepreneur, which I I really hadn't even through those daydreams in the earlier years. So this possibility was opening up and I 
I did something that was super scary at the time. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people would say it was a poor financial decision. I, but I, I disagree. In hindsight, it was the best thing I ever did because it set me up for everything that I'm doing now and all the connections I have. Um, so I went to, th- I kind of was a conference junkie, which I know you guys out there, like you're laughing, Henry, because you know who this person is, right? So well, I mean, we, we all do this to an extent. We use that as an excuse for not to launch, right? Because right? I, I don't right. have enough information. I haven't learned enough. I need more, more, <laughs> more, right? But we all we all do this. Yeah. So I was out there and I went to three different like workshop-y type conference things. So some were really small, some were really big, but literally each one of those, it was like, it was this amazing just plan where they all kind of fell into line and pushed me to the next level, to the next level, to the extent that... By the time I had gone to the third conference, I had launched ChristinaScalera.com, which still exists, but it's since become the ContractShop.com. So um, anyway, I had launched that and I I just, I didn't know what I was going to do, right? Like I, I still just was really unclear and I was blogging and I was just trying and trying and trying. Um, and it wasn't until somebody, one of my really good friends, actually, I just got off the phone with her this morning. She um, She's a very, very famous equine photographer. She's been on every cover, every magazine, journal, everything. So um, she's like, hey, I need a contract. And like, can you just give me yours? And I'm thinking I have, at this point, I had worked with a lot of, remember how I said I was working with people on the side. So I'd been building up this right. bank of templates. Um, I had finally created my own for the yoga clients that never ended up <laughs> signing because I was too late. But I was building up this amazing bank of templates. And when she asked me for that, I was like, well, I don't want to charge her. She's like, one of my really good friends, but somebody else might want this. And I just asked her, I'm like, Hey, like you have 34,000 followers on Instagram. Do you think anybody in your audience would even want this? She's like, yes, all of them. (laughs) So, um, so that was how the contract shop was born. And she's still to this day, one of our best affiliates and promoters. Um, and yeah, that was our, that wasn't our first contract. Our first contract was actually just like a general photography contract because I was too scared to go niche at the time. Um, but it's, I've since gone niche and it's, it's paid off dividends. So <laughs> that's a different story. That's an amazing journey. And, and, and by the way, the clues were always there that you wanted to do something other than being an attorney. But <laughs> so there, there were a lot of clues along the way, but to that end, how do you still now um, satisfy the need for creativity with this business, the contract shop, and is it because you also do creative things on the side? And of course, owning a business is a creative endeavor in my belief, but how have you reconciled that need for creativity and expressing yourself creatively? Yeah, it it honestly, Henry, is like the best of both worlds because um, I have a fantastic team that supports me, but when I want to, I can get in there, I can write, I can be like, oh, what about this like thing that we could create for free? And this is like my vision and my dream. Um, I very quickly realized, so we launched the contract shop in November of 2015. And I very quickly realized that I could spend all day designing a freebie or a content upgrade. They're sometimes called. And that, that wasn't fun to me. Like what was fun was to imagine what it would look like done and then have it done. And like, look, if you guys have ever created a website or, you know, written a blog post and you've gone back and like looked at it and really enjoyed it again, um, you know, the, the satisfaction of having that product and it's done and it's in front of you and you can like just really dive into it again. 
that was what I really liked. I didn't like the process of creating it. And so I feel like I have the best of both worlds in that I can just kind of dip my toe into whatever I'm feeling like. And, um, you know, it's, there's no commitment there. Like I'm not committing myself to 1600 wedding invitations that I have to design and have shipped out by Friday. Uh, but instead, you know, I, I work with um, Ashley Kelly. She's the founder of something called the Modern Calligraphy Summit. She's a really good friend of mine as well. And I can just like dip my toe in there and talk to them about calligraphy and, you know, answer their legal questions. Um, and then, you know, try my hand at calligraphy again and nobody's paying me for it. I don't have this like burden of creating this finished product. Um, so it's, it's really great because I can just kind of like morph in and out of these communities that I've, I've always, right. I don't know what the right world word would be, but like appreciated and, you know, quote unquote fangirled over. And um, now I'm a part of them in kind of not like an influencer capacity, but kind of like an educator capacity where people are looking to me for guidance and advice um, and information based on the legal side of, of the businesses they're creating in these industries. And that feels, it feels really good to be appreciated and wanted in that way in those communities. Um, but then it also feels really good when I can turn around and whip out like a calligraphy design and kind of like surprise people like, Oh, you actually do this too. And um, yeah. it just lends even more credibility to the products that we create and, yeah. So um, long story short, I, I like to do it for creative purposes, but I also like to do it for business um, because if, if I don't understand what it's like for you to be a calligrapher and to have your hand hurting after the, you know, 40 second invitation that you've hand drafted or like the ink spilling everywhere or, you know, be showing up on a wedding day and like having the groomsmen like harass you around as you're working. Um, <laughs> I can't create the best product possible. I can't create those nuanced contract templates that people are coming to me for instead of using, you know, those big box providers that you see on TV or advertising the radio or something like that. So it's really important for me to not just approach it from like, Hey, let's be creative and have fun, but also, you know, for a business purpose to look and see like, what are like viscerally, what are their struggles? What are their problems? How can I feel that? And how can I incorporate that in the product that I'm creating for them? Yeah. Great insights. I think for me, this speaks very clearly to a couple of things that we're always told and, and that I've come to understand better and better, which is, you know, having, having passion about what we do and niching down. So you've been able to accomplish these things by leveraging the the background, the education and the skills you had in the legal arena, but delivering it to this niche audience with whom you have a connection and a passion for. And I got to think that's why you love what you do so much today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I just, I couldn't have dreamt up a better career path for myself if I had tried. I mean, they're like, when you graduate from law school, you don't go to OCI on campus interviews and, you know, interview with like how to create an entrepreneurial community of people that enjoy calligraphy and photography and, um, you know, also want legal help. Like there's no interview yeah. for that. No, um, but yeah, it just, it, it really organically evolved and I'm so appreciative for that. But, you know, at the same time, it was a lot of work and a lot of frustration, yeah. um, a lot yeah. of feeling like I was hitting wall after wall after, um, after wall and just not really understanding how all these little bits and pieces of my story were going to come together. And like, it feels really cohesive and nice right now, but I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to be the way that it stays, right? Like there's going to be something that shifts. We're going to have a recession, um, you know, 
something will fall out of favor. One of the communities I'm in will collapse. Whatever is going to happen, right? The next digital revolution. Um, and it's going to throw me back into the same spot, that same cycle of like, where do I go from here? What's next? And then, you, you know, reinvent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think it's, it's not a matter of, um, you know, just waiting for that perfect thing to happen and, you know, or just exploring through conferences. It's a matter of doing and getting out there and just continually like putting yourself in the position of, well, this might work or this might not and figuring out, you know, how well something worked, doing more of that thing that worked and doing less of the thing that didn't. Yeah. That's a great perspective. Extremely well said, in my opinion. All right, let's dive into a bit more of the details on the how-tos. Before we do so, let's just quickly disclaim and make everybody aware of the <laughs> obvious. I am not an attorney. Christina is an attorney, but she's not your attorney to those that are listening. And so we are not trying to share any specific legal advice for anybody. We're just sharing examples, generalities, advice in general, and and tips, but you should seek your own legal counsel on all of these matters or use a resource like the contract shop uh, for anything related to legal. I always say before you sign anything or negotiate anything where you have to sign and you're committing yourself to something, get your own attorney. Anything you would add to that disclaimer before we move on? Yeah, let's make this really easy for people to understand. So if you break your leg, what are you going to do? probably not go to WebMD and look up how to fix a broken leg and DIY cast. So I want to encourage you guys to think about legal stuff in the same way. I think we take it for granted because if you're starting your own business, right, like you're DIYing everything and you're bootstrapping and you're figuring things out and, you know, you're like learning how to code or do graphic design and you feel like you can do all of these things on your own. And I, I think a lot of people are kind of lulled into the legal world like that, where they feel like they can be their own attorneys. And there are definitely some things you can DIY. Um, but as we're going to talk about, there's definitely some things that you wouldn't want to. It's like a broken leg. You're not going to want to go to some legal website, even mine, and try to fix your broken leg. Um, so I hope that that kind of like very real life example relates and resonates with some of you where you realize like, okay, an attorney is like a doctor, they're a professional of some sort, and they're going to fix my problem in a way that I couldn't do on my own. Agreed. All right. So <laughs> speaking of contracts and playing attorney, which some people do, they'll remain nameless, Henry Lopez, um, <laughs> you have this concept, which is not a good thing to do. You, you uh, explain this concept and you say you have to flip everything that we think we know about using contracts. What do you mean by that? And let's get started with this topic by explaining that if you would. Yeah, for sure. So this might not apply to all of you. Some of you may be super advanced little business owners out there, but most of the time somebody is approaching a contract in my experience, what I've seen um, in a way that they are very apprehensive. The legal system, especially in the United States, is incredibly litigious, right? We hear about people getting sued all the time and we're afraid to get sued. And, you know, we're always thinking like, oh gosh, are we going to, are we going to go to jail? Or are we going to get sued? Um, especially as you're starting off in your business. And, you know, the reality of, of a contract is that, um, most of the time, we've we've just been exposed to lawyers and the legal system in a negative way. Um, so maybe you've been fortunate enough to not have this experience, but a lot of people are watching things like Law and Order or getting divorced or dealing with child custody issues, and like all of these are really negative things. Um, I remember being in when I was an intern at PepsiCo, asking one of the attorneys there, like, "Why does everybody hate lawyers?" Because my experience had always been like, "I love trademarks, I love branding. This is awesome. We're protecting brands. We're building equity." Like it was always fun 
fun for me. Um, and she very clearly explained after being divorced, I think once or twice, she was like, well, let, let me sit you down, little you know, 19 or 20-year-old Christina, and tell you why people don't like attorneys. So I think that's why people approach any kind of legal issue, especially a contract, which is this like big binding document that's written and it's like it's almost engraved in stone for some people as they approach it. Um, and so I, I really am on a mission with the contract shop to flip the script and rewrite the paradigm that exists and invite people into the legal process as like a normal thing that happens within businesses. Um, because not everybody's involved in, in legal matters in that way. A lot of people, you know, if you have to go to legal in your corporate department, or in your corporation, um, you know, if you're dealing with like HR employment issues or the legal department, it's usually a bad thing. And so I would really hope that we can shift the paradigm and focus on, on legal things and especially contracts as something that's a really useful tool that we can use that is more like a definition of the relationship of the people or parties coming together in that document than um, as like this big, scary, overwhelming, you know, forever document that you can never change. Because that's yeah. just, in my opinion, not what a contract is. It's it's this very, um, not, I don't want to say fluid, but it, you can amend a contract, you can define the relationship, um, you can really set clear expectations, and you can use it to create a great client experience. And, and so to that, and a, a couple of things that I know I've always uh felt are a barrier and, and certainly my clients that I work with other small business owners, a couple of things. One is this concept that every time I engage in a relationship that requires a contract, I have to go spend the money on an attorney and draft something from scratch. And that that's not necessarily the case. Hence, the contract shop plays that role of I can reuse the same I don't want to use the word template, but that's the word that comes no, to is, mind. With, with, yeah, yeah with, with modifications for the particular situation, but that's perfectly okay, right? Absolutely. That's, I mean, I have a service-based business. Um, I'm, I'm not really highlighting that here, but yeah, I mean, I work with clients and I, I'm, I'm in it with you guys. And um, I mean, literally every single time I send a client out to a, contra a, a, a client, a new proposal or contract, I am reading through that whole thing and rewriting it because I mean, just like you guys constantly, um, I'm learning, I'm, I'm developing new processes, ideas, and those are all things that influence who I am as a business owner. And so every single, t I mean, you can read a blog post every single week and want to change one little thing about that. The contract is no different. And so I'm always looking for a way to say things better, more clearly, less ambiguity. I'm always looking for a way to um, improve that reading experience for the person on the other side so that they actually do read their contract. I actually like when people read my contract because it is this amazing tool that I use as part of my client experience to deliver a lot of value um, and just like a really good feeling to my clients. So it is important to have a template, I, I believe, whatever client um, service provider or you know contract sending service that you're using. Um, hopefully it's not printing and scanning back. We can talk about that. Um, but hopefully it's electronic. And, you know, using as using that as as a template so that you're not reinventing the wheel every time because while um, especially as you're starting out, it can feel really uh, maybe productive or advanced to have this amazing uh, custom contract by an attorney every single time. I actually, I would make a lot more money if I told my clients that they needed me to draft their contracts or review every contract for them. Um, but it's, it's not true. Like they, they just don't in, not 
in most situations, they don't need that custom contract. They need something that has been time tested, proven, put through the ringer with hundreds of people who have downloaded it and given me feedback, um, been improved upon. And, you know, it's, it's really the, the contract shop has allowed me to create templates that are kind of a catalyst. And in that, I mean, if you create a contract on your own, you're spending 10 years to develop the, the research and the feedback and um, knowledge that I've received from the 100 downloads that we've gotten this year from that template and then implemented those changes accordingly. So, right. you know, it's kind of like crowdsourcing the horror stories and the problems and then using that to improve the template and make it even better each, each iteration, each round that I'm updating it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good perspective, a good way to look at it. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast, and I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing and often It's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. A couple other questions. One is, if I don't use an attorney or a template created by an attorney, I'd draft my own thing, whether it's an email uh, message or something on paper. I've always believed that at least that's better than a verbal agreement, fair or not. That's a great question. So there's three ways to accept a contract. As you guys have noted, there's written, verbal, and then through action. So, you know, Henry, if you and I were to go to lunch and you were like, Hey, I would love for you to start drafting X, Y, Z for me. And I'm like, great. And I get started on that. Um, that could be considered an acceptance of that offer. You know, if you were like, I'm going to pay you this much and you know, I want it done by this time and whatever, I go back to my office, I start creating it. That action can be an acceptance as well. So, you know, there's, there's those three ways. And I mentioned those three ways because verbal and um, acceptance by action, those things can be really ambiguous, hard to prove later, um, difficult to maybe look back and say what were, what was expected of me in the situation. And a written agreement is even if it's just an email or back of the napkin type of thing, um, it's, it's a place where you can kind of solidify your thoughts and keep them all in this nice, clear, concise list that you can refer back to. So what I mean by that is um, if you discuss pricing, there's no forgetting because it's written down. If you discuss services, um, there's no forgetting that you uh, you know you provided three out of the four things you promised this person because all four are written down in that that written agreement. So I mean I don't want to say absolutely always, um, but I I really it's hard to think of a situation where if it's the same conversation that happens with a verbal agreement versus a written agreement um, that the verbal agreement would be better because like even as an attorney when I'm having phone calls with people I'm memorializing those phone calls by saying hey so and so I know we just had a phone call about X Y Z on this phone call we discussed A B C D is that you know if that's correct in your estimation um, you know if or if there's anything that I said that seems different or contrary to what we discussed and and I've written here, then please let me know um, as soon as you can, right? So I'm even 
kind of retracing the, the untraceable, which is the phone calls, because it's not legal to, to record calls in every state. Um, I'm keeping a record of even things like that. So, I mean, generally speaking, written is is better. I, I mean, I'm sure there is a situation. I just can't think of any off the top of my head where I would rather have a verbal agreement than a written one. Yeah, you know, agreed. Um, great. Thanks for clarifying that. The, the other thing uh, uh, that's obviously an obstacle as well, and it happens again, a lot of times with creatives or um, you know, something that's not as complex like buying a piece of property or going into partnership with someone where there are a lot of terms that have to be hashed out. But a simple agreement for me to provide you a service, like like you example you've given of, let's say I'm going to come and do your wedding photography. The other big challenge is, well, I don't want to put a big, scary contract in front of somebody because most people are going to be scared by it. They're like, oh my gosh, what is this? Do I need to get an attorney? So how do how do you help people overcome that barrier to using a contract? I love this question so much um, because so often I do see those one or two pager documents and I can say that um, either those documents don't last or those businesses don't last mm, okay. because, you know, I mean, you you could, I guess, have, you know, size point two font or something um, and cram it all into one page, but that seems silly. So, you know, when you have a shorter agreement, it's not necessarily the length that's the issue. It's the fact that you can't memorialize and include everything that you need to in that short of a document. So a lot of people like to send off those one one or two pagers um, because they feel like they're less intimidating to the client. They feel like they're, they're the client is more likely to sign and therefore book and they're more likely to get money out of that situation, um, which is important. You know, you have to have money as a business owner. So I understand why people like the shorter agreements. Um, but like I said, either the shorter agreement goes or the business goes. That I've never seen either of them last um, any length of time. So usually the business owner will get a more lengthy contract that it has uh, more protection, not only for them, but for the client as well. And or or they just go out of business because there's just there's not a good client relationship that's formed there. So the length of the contract to me doesn't matter because I'm sending it electronically. And so, um, you know, when you're sending a contract electronically to a client, not only do you have the advantage of, of getting a more accurate signature, in my opinion, um, I know there's attorneys who would disagree, but, you know, I can track that signature to the exact time, second, millisecond, um, IP address, everything when someone signs an electronic document. And then also there's no pages in there. So they just kind of scroll through, scroll, 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 you know, read where they where hopefully they read all of it. But, you know, more likely they're just like reading section by section. Um, and being prompted to sign it in a very convenient way that subliminally tells them that I respect their time and I respect their schedule um, by giving them this convenient document for them to um, look through and sign. So I, I think those are some things to consider. But then one of the things that is really, really popular in the creative world, but isn't it hasn't really spread um, is something called a client magazine. And I have a client, her name is Jenna Kutcher. She has a website called Shop Jenna Kutcher. I'm not an affiliate. I don't get any money. Um, I wish I did, but <laughs> no, she, she has this amazing website and she sells these um, customizable templates that are called their, their client magazines. And so a client magazine is a really, really nice addition to your contract. They go hand in hand. So the contract is that legally binding memorialized document that includes the list of expectations on both sides of the fence, right? The client is protected because you're talking maybe about what happens if, you know, I, I mean, I'm at an age and in an industry where a lot of people are having babies. So, you know, what happens if if the wedding planner finds out she's pregnant and can't be there on your your wedding day that you booked 18 months in advance? Um, it also 
protects the uh, wedding planner because as we all know, some people break up and you know what happens in that situation. So those are the kinds of things that can be accounted for in the contract. And then this client magazine is a really nice complimentary tool to use that can illustrate and highlight some of the more important things that maybe clients aren't reading, like your cancellation policy or what happens if they exceed the scope of the agreement, like how many people raise your hand if you're in your car, if people are asking you for things that you're like, uh, this wasn't part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, or more hours or something like that. So it can it can be a really nice, gentle way to remind them about things that are really important that they may have just skimmed through or skipped over in the contract. Um, but it's also this really great tool that helps highlight where the contract is beneficial for the client and reframe the sections of the contract, um, not in a like a, a disingenuous way. This is this is why the contracts are drafted to be fair to both sides, but in a way that highlights how each of the terms in there is actually beneficial for both parties, especially the client, obviously, because it's a client um, focused document, this client magazine. So it's language that's in the contract, but this is a plain English explanation of some of those key clauses and terms. Am I understanding correctly? That's correct. And it it usually has a lot of photos, a lot of graphic design. And so, you know, if you download one of these templates, most of that's already done for you. So it's not as scary as it sounds. Um, but it's and also a nice that could way. Be content that I might have on my website that I reference or tell people or send a link to, I could use it that way. Absolutely. Because a lot of your clients have never hired a service provider in your position before. Um, so the people that I work with, I work with a lot of people in the wedding industry. I mean, the majority of weddings are first time brides and grooms, and they've never hired somebody that's a professional photographer before in their life. They have no idea what to expect. And, uh, you know, not only is this contract potentially a scary document for them to go through, made less scary by writing out what these provisions are, you know, why they're there, what's the point of them, um, what are the main ones that they need to at least focus on before they sign the contract. Um, It's also a great tool that you can use to kind of hold their hand and give them confidence in working with you because they're able to see what the process with you is like. They're able to see maybe some samples of your work, like photos of past weddings, or, you know, if you're a coach or a consultant, they can see some testimonials. It's a great, the client magazine is a great place to put some testimonials and reinforce, um, you know, the, the, the person's trust in you and, and their decision to work with you. So the client magazine is a great tool that can come either with the contract, or I actually like to send it right after the contract is signed. Um, or if they're having any hesitation, it can be sent via PDF. You can have them printed from MagCloud or Vistaprint or something um, and send them a, a nice physical copy with as a client gift or something. Um, and it's just this really nice touch that you can use to essentially walk them through the process with you, um, instill that further trust in your services. Because as we all know, like booking the client is just the first step in the journey. A lot of clients can lose faith and trust along the way. So this, this helps renew their faith and trust in us. Um, and then also give them the extra tools, like address the objections that they're having before they even know and, and externalize what those are. So they're still feeling them internally, but this client magazine is like, you know, Um, here's the timeline of your wedding day. Like maybe inside they were thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know. Like when should I even show up? Like what what time should I even book this venue for? And here you are as a service provider going above and beyond, holding their hand um, and just ingraining yourself forever with them, setting yourself up for really good referrals. Um, And that could be the same thing with the consulting. You could have a timeline or something in there too. Right. Yeah, this is all what you talk about, obviously, as you've been describing, using a contract 
as a means of building a relationship with your client or your prospective client, right? Absolutely. That's, yeah. That's, that's how you use it to an advantage as, as opposed to this barrier to getting the deal closed. All right. Um, I want to ask you this question. What are, what are some of the clues? What are some of the ways that I could determine as a business owner? All right, this is something I need a contract for. I mean, I can obviously think of some of the obvious things and we're all experienced enough to know um, the obvious things when I enter into a partnership, when, like I've mentioned before, when I buy something, when mm-hmm. I'm hiring something for a, somebody for a large service. But where else do you, is there, are there areas where you think people just don't think that maybe that should have been documented in a contract, memorialized in a contract? Are there some examples that come to mind that you can share? Um, I can think of some examples, sure, but I, this is a really, really difficult rule that I hope all of you can like write down and maybe memorize someday. <laughs> the rule is if it's a relationship or there is money exchange, so if it's a relationship you care about or there is an amount of money that you care about that is exchanged, then you guys should probably have a contract. Okay. Right. So that, that's great. That's, that's <laughs> super complicated. Tool, right? yeah. No, it's a, so it's a relationship and this is from a business perspective. So a relationship is either I'm providing a service or I'm receiving a service or I'm selling a product or I'm buying something. I'm establishing some kind of client and provider relationship, regardless of who's playing what role, or I'm there's money being exchanged for something. Those are Good reasons why there should probably be a contract documenting that. Is that fair? Very fair. Or even a relationship among people. Yes. So, you know, I've, yes. I've seen situations where like sisters are entering into some kind of business deal together. Um, and, you know, any of you with siblings out there know that things can go wrong or miscommunications can happen and you guys end up squabbling and sinking the business or sinking whatever. Um, so anytime it's it's a relationship that you care about maintaining, it's important to have a contract and anytime there's an amount of money that you care about. So, you know, sure, like you hire somebody to mow your lawn for 50 bucks. Um, well, that's probably a bad example because there's some liability concerns there. But um you know, maybe you hire somebody to do a logo for you for 50 bucks. You don't really care. You, you find them on Fiverr and it's just like this one little one-off like tester project you're doing. Okay, whatever. Like maybe there doesn't need to be a contract there. Um, or, you know, maybe it's just a very simple like, hey, do I get the copyright to this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Cool. Okay. Move on. But, but even in some um, of those sites, they provide a basic agreement. So we have some level of written agreement there, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure if Fiverr does or not. I remain check not. Their terms like I just did a 99designs campaign for a logo. And of course, there's, you know, with it comes the license agreement and all of that. So it, it, it all comes bundled with that. So at least we have something. And again, some definition of the scope of services and what I'm paying and what I'm providing and what I'm getting in the way of licenses. So that covers me there typically, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of like... Um, What's it called? It's not Odesk anymore. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it used to be Elance <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Those yeah. I mean, those services. Yeah. Yeah. Usually have something mm-hmm. in, in uh, place, but yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's like a friend and you guys are doing a one-off deal and it's like 50 bucks at stake, like maybe it's not a huge consideration where you have the seven page contract for, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, services. But at the same time, if it's amount of, if, if it's, you know, like you're going to be providing $5,000 worth of consulting to a friend and in exchange, they're going to be whatever, like mowing your lawn or, um, providing you massages or like what, like if they're a masseuse or something, um, you guys are doing a trade and it's, it's a valuable amount of, of 
whatever the services that you guys are exchanging, then it, it probably is worth it to have some kind of agreement just to solidify, n- not just like what's actually being exchanged, but like how that's going to take place. Because as we all know, especially after like conferences, right, people are like super psyched and, and excited to work together. Um, you know, things don't always work out as planned or people get busy time starts to replace that motivation, the time crunch of your day. So um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest examples I can think of where people don't think to have contracts and it, it really bites them in the butt later is um, just that example I just gave where you're you're high off of a conference, you have this like surge of motivation, you've met somebody that seems like the perfect business partner and you guys just like start immediately going into some kind of joint venture yeah, together. Yeah. That's the perfect example of where you can get into a lot of trouble um, if you don't have maybe like a different LLC that you formed with an operating agreement. So in that situation, the operating agreement would be the contract or, you know, if it's just like a limited engagement to test the waters with this person, some kind of joint venture or collaboration agreement. Um, you know, other situations are like if you're a blogger or if you blog at all or do any kind of content like a podcast and you're working with brands and you don't have some kind of agreement in place with that brand, um, that brand might, you might create a a fantastic piece of content or photography or something um, that that brand uses on like a national advertising campaign or or whatever that you're not comfortable with um, giving to them for free just because, you know, they paid you whatever, 500 bucks for the sponsored post or, you know, a sponsorship for a podcast. So those are the situations where um, brands might try to skirt around the issue and not have a contract. But I think um, that's becoming less and less frequent with the, I guess, trend towards professionalism in working with influencers and content creators. Um, but it's still out there where where brands will just kind of be like, hey, can I send you some product? And you're like, yeah, cool, awesome. And then, you know, you don't, for, for whatever reason, like the, the end product um, of, of your creation doesn't come in the package that this brand was expecting. And now they're asking for money for the products that they sent you, or they're asking for you to send the products back or something. Um, So those are the situations where it might not be apparent to have some kind of agreement, even if it's just like a quick email agreement. Um, But that, that, that clear understanding needs to be apparent and um, obvious to both sides of of the party. All right. Great stuff. Parties. Good examples, (laughs) good takeaways, lots of things to, to consider. Um, All right, we'll start to wrap it up. I wanted to get into trademarks, but I think I'm going to have to convince you to come back for a second episode and we'll dive into trademarks because we'll talk for two hours about that (laughs) as well. I could talk forever about (laughs) trademarks. So we will work on convincing you to come back and dive into that. So let's put that aside for the next episode that we get together. Uh, Summarize for us, we've touched on it, but summarize for us the services that you offer currently through the contract shop and any other services you want to highlight that you offer your clients? Sure. So the contract shop actually doesn't offer any services. Um, it, it just offers products, digital downloads that you can use, customize within 10 minutes and go. Um, so you're never going to be like Christina Scalera circa 2015, losing those clients because you took two weeks to get back to them. You can download it immediately, be ready to go in about 10 minutes by filling in the blanks where it prompts you to, um, and then send that off to a client, book them. Um, so they think you're amazing and professional and they have this great experience with you right from day one. So that's the contract shop. And um, make sure that you go to Henry's show notes to get 
uh, not only that, but we're going to give you a rock solid contract blueprint that you can only get through the show notes. So make sure that you visit the link that he gives you. Um, the other thing that I do is a separate company. It is a law firm. Um, it's called Scalera IP Law. And all I basically do over there is trademarks. So we do a couple other limited legal matters, but most of them are related to trademarks. Um, so it's been it's been really fun. I'm, I'm able to um, do trademarks for some really cool people and a lot of book deals and things like that. So it's um, it's it's fun to get to live out my passion in both ways. And um, as Gary Vayner, I'll, I'll make it PG, but as Gary Vaynerchuk says, I, I agree with him that you need to eat your own poop and um, you need to practice what you preach. And so I'm out there every day working with clients, um, engaging in the client experience, figuring out how to make this better so that I can then improve that on the other side of things in my business as the contract shop owner. Yeah. Wonderful. And again, go to the show notes page for this episode You'll be able to get a significant discount here. Uh, and so just go to the howabusiness.com, search for Christina. You'll find her episode. And on the show notes page, you'll find that link. Uh, tell me about the podcast. Oh, yeah. We didn't even mention this. So um, I, I actually am the co-host of a podcast with a life coach named Raina Pomeroy. And um, it was just a passion product project that we started um, almost two years ago. It's called Creative Empire. And um, it's it's a show that's very niche for um, creative entrepreneurs who are just getting started, men and women. And um, we, we basically walk through... Um, Something kind of similar to here, but not not quite exactly the same. We like to um, do some mentoring sessions and just kind of like get that really visceral feeling like, how are you feeling? How can we overcome that? How can we help you? What are some resources? So that's that's Creative Empire. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's something you guys could check out. It's completely free. We've actually never monetized it, which um, is a whole different story. But at the same time, it's it's fun. It's just a passion project, really. So Absolutely. All right. I'm always looking for book recommendations. And is there a book or books that you would recommend? Absolutely. So I used to think that Russell Brunson was the biggest spammy scammer guy ever, and I couldn't stand him. And now I am absolutely in love with him and his products. Um, I won't go through the whole journey of like how that changed, but I think ClickFunnels is legit. Um, it is le- the landing page software that I, I recommend and use. Um, and I absolutely recommend reading Expert Secrets and .com Secrets. Uh, I think both are are on those URLs. And you know, I I hope that you go to the show notes page and click through the links that Henry has because um, you'll get some extra stuff. I think by going there. But um, but yeah, those two books are fantastic. Whether or not you use ClickFunnels or even care about funnels, they're just great for any business owner ever that wants more profit in their business. So I, I would. Definitely go download those two books. Fantastic. Thanks for that recommendation. All right. We'll wrap it up in these last two questions. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation as it relates to contracts for small business owners? Yeah, I, I think you need to get started. I mean, that's that's the number one recommendation that I have is um, just get started. A lot of people are like, oh, what are all the steps I need to have a legit business? And it's literally really easy. One step, get clients that pay you. Um, and then you can figure out the rest later. And that's really counterintuitive, especially coming from an attorney. I think a lot of attorneys would kind of give me the side eye for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, if you're sitting there messing with LLCs and bank accounts and, um, you know, trademarks and all this other stuff. Those are all just things that are getting in your way of getting started. Um, get clients in the door, get money coming through, which you need a contract for that. Um, 
But at the same time, if you can do that and you have clients coming in the door, you have a successful business at that point, it's profitable, hopefully, um, you're able to afford all the legal help that you need. It's not even a consideration or any skin off your back. So I would recommend that people just get out there, get started, even if they're doing everything wrong, right? Like I did things wrong, quote unquote, for two years almost. And um, it it led me to where I am today, which is a really happy life, great lifestyle um, and doing something I love. So that wouldn't have happened if I just you know, sat around and waited for things to happen. Agreed. Wonderful. All right. Where would you like me to go for us to go online to find out more about you and the contract shop? First, go to Henry's show notes for sure, because I have given him a ton of resources um, that you can't find on my website and you guys are going to get those for free. And you'll definitely want to check that out. But if you just want to come check out what the contract shop is all about, we're at the contract shop.com. Um, all our social handles are at the contract shop. So um, you can go check that out. And I'm Christina Scalera. I have a couple different things, but I would definitely just go to the contract shop um, after visiting Henry's show notes for this episode with all those great freebies and, and downloads and things that we're giving you guys for free. Absolutely. Take advantage of that. Christina, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned something and uh, I'll convince you to come back hopefully and we'll dive into trademarks. But thanks for spending the time for sharing so freely of your knowledge and experiences and stories. I appreciate it. Yeah, I am so thankful to be here. Thank you so much, Henry. And thanks guys for listening. This is Henry Lopez and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest again was Christina Scalera. We release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.